Jessica, if you're listening, sorry, I stalked you a little bit. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And this week, we were chasing the five-plus-star reading experience. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hey, Renee. Welcome back. How are you? Thanks. Good. Yes. I know our, our listeners probably don't have any idea. <laughs> I took a little quick trip to Cancun. It was nice. Really nice. Mm-hmm. Interesting timing, too, with this topic. Because So I'll Ooh. talk about that later in Book Talk, uh-huh. how this topic combined with vacation reading in how that shifted what I was looking yeah. for in a re- in really interesting way. It created a little bit of a different mood for me than if I wasn't, you know, on going on vacation. No, that totally makes sense. Like I understand because like, yes, I get that. Mm-hmm. Especially what I think I'm looking for when I'm thinking about a five plus star book. It's not probably what I want to read on the beach. Right. For me. Right. You know. But yeah, so I had to figure out how to combine those two. Mm-hmm. And my typical popcorn thriller like mood, which is a lot of, you know, where I tend to gravitate to um, for beach reading, mm-hmm. was not really an option for a five right, plus star because right. I typically those typically don't end up being five plus stars. So no. it was a it was a very interesting experiment. <laughs> Yes, very interesting. And if you follow me on Instagram, you saw me in real time reacting to, this is what I was talking about, chasing the five plus star reading experience. We will chat with it. But first, Mm -hmm. speaking of chasing the five plus star reading experience, I am always on the lookout for a five plus star podcast. I'm very picky with true crime, with any sort of podcast I listen to, because anytime I'm listening to a podcast, that's time I could be listening to a book, right. which I think too affected my reading because I just discovered this last weekend and I'm already done with season two. It's called Bear Brook, and I'm specifically recommending season two. I did not listen to season one, and it could be fine, but season two of Bear Brook is where it's at. It's, oh my God. So thank you to one of our listeners who recommended it to me. I know, I wish I wrote down who they were, But they were basically like, oh, you recommended podcasts to me. I liked my own backyard or whatever you recommended. So I wanted to share one with you. So thank you. And please, if you're listening and you have a podcast you think I might like, send it to me. Bear Brook Season 2 is a true crime story, and it's produced by New Hampshire Radio. And this is the hook. Jason Carroll is serving life in prison for a murder he says he didn't commit. The only evidence against him? His own taped confession. Ooh. Okay. Uh And that is all I needed. It is only eight episodes, and I flew through them in a weekend. They're probably an hour, 45 minutes to an hour each. God, that talk (laughs) freaks me out. That's a lot of listening, but I (laughs) I mean, it went fast. Again, I was on the edge of my seat. The storytelling is excellent, and even though the murder happened 30-plus years ago— 
they were still able to pull and share recordings. So you hear the taped confession. You hear some interviews. And it takes you from the murder itself to the main suspects, through the trial, through the imprisonment, and even to this man's current parole request. It was fascinating. They also bring in experts. Like he brought in a psychologist who's an expert on false confessions, And he did something, or they did something I've not seen often. They interviewed the deceased's daughter, who's now a grown woman. She died when her her mom died when she was very young. And she got interviewed on the podcast. And I found this to be heartbreaking and infuriating, both because of this specific case, like what happened here and just kind of some of the early things you saw, but also... It reminded me of the flaws in our criminal justice system. And I was like shouting at this man from 30 years ago, like, ask for a lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you talking? Shut up. You know, but you, you, there's layers to this story. What I love is he's requesting parole and they interview the daughter and kind of ask what she thinks about that. And like, I mean, can't, you can't, how, very thoughtful, very, very interesting. And I'm trying to be so vague Mm because I don't want to spoil anything. This was just so good. I highly recommend this to anybody who has interest in the criminal justice system, interest in true crime. I thought it was respectful and well done. Listen to it. Come back and message me so we can talk about it. My only critique is in the beginning, there were the ads took me out of it. It annoyed me to no end because I'm like, but I get it. It's a business. They're trying to make money, right? They Mm -hmm. have to fund this investigation. But like the ads would be like, now on Volkswagen, take your family of four. And I'm like, how? Yeah, (laughs) it it was like at one point I like I thought I accidentally changed it to a different podcast, but no, it was just this random ad that was thrown in. But I got over it by like episode three or four. Anyway, this is the podcast, Bear Brook Season 2. Awesome. There there are so many podcasts out there I've never heard of, and you seem to find them. And I, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I want to see if I can find time to listen to that because I'm very curious mm-hmm. in graduate school, especially and before when I studied a lot of, not that he is was a youth at the time or an underage, you know, kid but there were a lot there was a lot of instances where young people had false confessions under duress oh, and I am you know and fascinated it's, by it's, that yeah and I remember yeah in studying that in criminology and thinking mm-hmm. why would you do that but also I you know I mean you could you know it it becomes obvious once you read more into certain cases yeah. why they did that. Oh, yeah. But in the psychologist, that was right. her thesis. That's what she studied mm-hmm. was specifically why. And she talked about, um, she shared a really interesting stat. Since 1989, nearly 400 people have been exonerated over false confessions or after false confessions. And over half of those were black individuals. Oh, wow. Over 400 people exonerated since lot. 1989. That is yeah, a lot. Really fa- I was like so activated when I was listening to this. Like I was like zooming all over my house, cleaned Lily's entire room, did all this laundry because <laughs> I was just so like fascinated by this podcast. Okay, good one. All right. Well, today I am bringing a show that I, I guess that you would say I stumbled on it a little bit. It's called Louder Milk on Netflix. Weird. What a name. Yeah, I know. And well, the name comes from the main character. His last name is Loudermilk. And Darren was watching this. Now, I couldn't tell you when. It's three seasons. This was like his nightly show. And I 
would be working or on my laptop or reading, but still sitting there. And I wasn't initially interested in it, but then it grew on me. And then I started putting my Kindle down. And then he was like, I told you this was good. Now, <laughs> yeah. this, this show stars Ron Livingston, who you might know as Berger from Sex and the City, who broke up with Carrie on a post-it note. <laughs> okay. I do know that guy. I do okay. know that. And he is... V- this must be his personality because in Sex and the City, he had a dry sort of humor and he is the same in this show. And in this show, he is Sam Loudermilk and he is a recovering alcoholic and substance abuse counselor with a bad attitude. And although he has his drinking under control, he discovers that when your life is a mess, getting clean is the easy part. And really what the show revolves around is, is... him and his session. So he holds an AA sort of group session at a local church. And then the people that come to the session, those are the supporting characters. And then you get storylines with them intermixed with him and then his, in you know, what's going on in his real life, what's going on in their life. His best friend is in the group. And little, I just tell you, little by little, I became very invested in this show. He's a great actor, but the way he delivers dry comedic humor in a, you know, sarcastic, but it's, it's also, it's funny, but then there's also a lot, you know, there's depth to this show. It's a serious subject. A lot of them are struggling. They're, they're struggling and you can see how that plays out in their real life. And what a great supporting cast of characters. I really liked it. We were really bummed when we finished it. There's three seasons. So neither one of us knew. We were like, is this still out? Are there more coming? So I did a little Googling. It ended in 2020, but it seems that there's been a resurgence in popularity on Netflix with this show. And from what I'm finding, it looks like Netflix may have picked it up to start a season four, which would be great. I don't want to, I mean, there's definitely threads that, you know, could have answers. I'll just leave it at that. So it's Louder Milk on Netflix. And maybe you're bringing it on the podcast to get a couple (laughs) more views. We'll get another season. I know. I know. I don't know how Darren finds some of the shows that he ends up Mm -hmm. landing on, but I probably jumped in full, like two feet in somewhere in season two where okay. I be I put my Kindle down and I was like, yeah, yeah this show is pretty good. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, my latest read is How the Word is Passed, A Reckoning with the History of Slavery Across America by Clint Smith. Very different. Um, but this is perfect nonfiction to me. It's a combination of informative but also investigative. And then the author shares his opinions on things. And it was just for the subject matter, an enjoyable read. I feel like I learned a lot. So what he does, Smith takes the reader along with him on tours of several U.S. historical sites that are linked to the legacy of slavery. And he starts in his hometown of uh, in Louisiana, but he takes the readers to places like the Whitney Plantation, the Monticello Plantation in Virginia, Angola Prison, Blanford Cemetery, where Confederate soldiers are buried. And what he does is he tells the history of the place, but then he also editorializes and, like, talks about his experience being there as a Black man. He talks about the people that he met. He does some interviews and, like, some people that decline to be interviewed or, you know, just kind of 
I'm talking people that work there and what the experience is like working at some of these places. He also talks about how some of the places get it right and are very forthright with what really happened there and reckon back to its origin. And some places kind of gloss over that. He does a really amazing job talking about the history of the U.S. and how it continues to shape our everyday lives. I think sometimes you can think, oh, that was so long ago. It really wasn't. But especially the lives of Black Americans. He does a really, really good job just bringing the history to today. I thought this was an important read, especially because a lot of the history we're taught in school is whitewashed. It's not presented. It's not even talked about. And I just don't think I realized how much of slavery's history is around us. I think it's easy to think, at least for me, that it's relegated to like places in the South or former plantations, but it's not. You can see remnants all over. And he does such a good job in talking about that, but also why it matters, like why it still has an effect on society. Nonfiction for me can be a little bit dry, like straight up. (laughs) Usually I only like memoir, but this gave me a little bit of a memoir feel. Smith is a poet, which I could tell when I was reading. I'm like, ah, okay, the writing is really, really good. I thought that brought a lot to his storytelling. I was never bored. I highly recommend the audio. He narrates. I had to stop and think, who's this narrator? Because he's doing a really good job, and it was him. So kudos to him for that. I thought this was a wonderful, powerful, and thought-provoking reading experience, and it pairs perfectly with one of the books I'm bringing today. This is How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. Okay, good. All right. Well, my latest read is quite different. I am going into action thriller territory with Lone Wolf by Greg Hurwitz. I mean, you've heard me talk about Greg Hurwitz and the Orphan X books many times every year, actually, because his books come out every January, February. This is book nine in the Orphan X series. I did do the audio. I wait for the audio, too, because Scott Britt narrates, and he's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So I will only read these books on audio. This one is about, so Orphan X, I've mentioned before, I'll give you a little refresher on who he is. He was once a black book government assassin. He became known as Orphan X. He was recruited as an orphan into this program and trained to be an assassin. He helped fight international crime He took down drug cartels. He has just about done everything. He's faced down the most powerful men in the world and even brought down a president. Now, in this recent installment, he's struggling a little bit with an unexpected personal crisis. And if you've read the series at all, you know that Evan Smoke, who is Orphan X, does not do personal crises. (laughs) That is not something he takes the time for. So he's going to go back to the very basics of what he has learned, what his old mentor Jack has taught him, and he ends up taking a request. He gets a call because what he does now, he's not in the program anymore. He has a a special burner phone with a special number that's 1-800-NOWHERE, and he will take calls from people and say, do you need help? And if they do, depending on what they need, he will decide whether he's going to help them. He's a little little bit like of a vigilante in that way. So he gets a call one day, and it is a truly desperate little girl who wants him to help find her missing dog. Now, how did she get his number? Well, there's a definite answer to that, and there's threads along that, you know, along the line. So 
this is not his usual mission. He wasn't going to do it. And then he ends up taking this particular job, which of course leads him unexpectedly to a murder scene. And from there, he crosses paths with a mysterious female assassin who seems to be a mirror of himself. And from there, the story takes off. This is very similar to the other Orphan X books. And what Greg Hurwitz does so brilliantly, it's similar to the other books in that it's filled with action. It is filled with a really, really smart storyline. I would love to have a glass of wine or a cup of coffee with Greg Hurwitz and find out how his mind works. Like Throughout parts of this story, we are going to be hearing about some AI tech that I had never heard of, but I guarantee that this is all probably true because he writes very realistic stories. It was really, really smart. It is filled with thrills and tense moments and the old side characters like Joey. Joey is back in the story if you know her. Tommy, his really good friend who supplies him with weapons. He's back in the story. So you will get all of that. Do you have to read the rest of the books to jump into this one? I'm standing by this. I pretty much say this every time. No, you don't have to. And I really paid extra attention in the beginning of this story so that I could tell you for sure whether or not you need to. Greg Hurwitz brilliantly includes backstory throughout different parts to where you're like, hmm, he's mentioning his old mentor, Jack. Who is Jack? Well, he will tell you who Jack is without giving away anything from the past stories, really. He's really brilliant about that. So yes, you can jump in here. Yes, you'll also miss some of the nuance about the relationship, previous relationship between these characters. But if you don't care about that, that's fine. On the one hand, I love this book. This, as you can see, did not fall into my five plus star <laughs> reading experience. That's why it's a latest read. It is not my favorite of the Orphan X books. My biggest criticism with this, I reached a point where I was like, man, you can only listen or read so much action scene material where you become aware that it would play better on the screen because it goes on and on and on and on in the book. And you're like, okay, they're kicking, they're fighting, they're punching, and and, and you know, <laughs> I don't it. know. It, it, it's yeah. I think it. I think it would play better visually. Yeah, that's my criticism, and that is why this is not even a four point five star read for me. Um, I'm leaning towards four stars, maybe three point seven five. What he does really, really well, outside of you know the smart plotting is really land the plane and give you like a gut punch with his endings. And he did it again here. So that kind of makes me lean towards four stars. So this is Lone Wolf by Greg Hurwitz. Will you be back for the next one? Oh, absolutely. It doesn't matter. So this is the thing with this series. And, And it's kind of funny because with this series, I am always chasing a five star reading experience with this. Because this book, this is book nine, and I've only out of the whole series had one five star. And that oh, was wow. that was it. That was Dark Horse, which I think was book seven. And that ended up making my top 10 list. 
But most all of them for me are four stars, which are really enjoyable. I enjoy these books. I enjoy this series. I will always continue. As long as he writes the series, I will be reading it. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Well, we came up with this topic. It was kind of a spur of the moment thing, which sometimes are really fun to do. Right. We were recording our complicated love stories, and I was talking about the book A Place for Us by Fatima Farheen Mirza. And it just blew my mind. I, you know, when you're in that, I was saying to Renee, you know, when you're reading a book and you're like, I am so into this. It's mm-hmm. almost five plus stars. And that got us thinking, can we manifest this? Can we manufacture a five plus star reading experience? And what I mean by that, I have five star books. When I say a book is five stars, I highly recommend it. I loved it. There's really not anything wrong with the book. It's, it's wonderful. It's excellent. I want a lot of people to read it. For me, I use my five-plus star. I needed a way to really somehow indicate the best of the best. Like, these are the books that are in my top 10 of the year, but like in the top five of the year, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you're reading as many books as we do, these are the ones that stick out. They're just kind of over the top. So for me, like when I'm thinking five-plus stars, I was trying to think back, like, what are five-plus star reading books or reading experiences for me? Razor Blade Tears. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey. Absolutely. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Those are the books that just boop pop to the top of my mind when I'm thinking five plus stars. And so I was trying to see if if I could find something in that vein. Do you have books that are five plus stars that came to mind for you? Yes. I mean, I have, I feel like I would have a lot and I have a really weird measurement for that. I mean, not only do they end up in my top 10, yes. But for me, if if five plus stars usually means I have stayed up until one or two or three in the morning. And in order to do that, that story has to be so compelling that I cannot put it down. I have to stay up and I don't and I'm a, and I'm someone who loves sleep. But mm-hmm. if I cross that threshold and I don't care about sleep, then I know to me that's a five plus reading Mm. experience. And also I'll be thinking about it during the day and trying to figure out when can I read? And like, I don't care. I'll stay up as late as I need to. So for me, you've heard me talk about it a million times, A Little Life by Hanya Yanagahara. I mean, Uh I stayed up two nights in a row till three, a little after three in the morning and I didn't care. I I didn't care. I mean, I would do. So that one is high on my list. Demon Copperhead I would say that was a five-plus star reading experience. The Heart's Invisible Furies. Oh, I love that. By yeah, John Boyne. That, mm-hmm. absolutely. And now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't stay up super late reading this, but I did stay in bed because I was really, really, really sick and continued to read through the haze of being sick because I couldn't put it down. And that's One Day by David Nichols. Mm-hmm. Now, all of those really, well, you know, we'll see about Demon Copperhead. That's pretty recent. But the others, those are my, those are stand the test of time. Five mm-hmm. plus stars. I still remember scenes from that book. So, you know, I remember what I was doing, how late I stayed up, what was yeah. going on. I remember everything about that reading experience. Okay. Well, good. So I had a very specific way that I tried to make this happen. And I will, it's a little long, but I'll detail it for you. First, I went to my TBR on Goodreads and filtered by my highest rated. Mm Because I wanted to see like what was at the very top. I also didn't want nonfiction. I knew I wanted a fiction book. And then I have this rater that I'm almost embarrassed to, to 
admit. Okay, there's this person that rates books on Goodreads. Her name is Jessica Woodbury. I don't know her in real life, but her Goodreads bio says she used to work for Book Riot. Anyway, she is such a tough but fair reviewer. I love her reviews because they're old. Never, I've never seen her write a five-star review. And I got to thinking, oh. like, does she rate f- books five stars? So I went in her, this is, so, don't, I mean, <laughs> Jessica, if you're listening, sorry, I stalked you a little bit. But I went to her books and I looked at hers and she does have quite a few books that are five stars. One of mine, uh, she a place for us was on her five-star reading list. So I was like, okay, I agree with you there. I see what you're putting down, right? So I looked, <laughs> it's embarrassing, but I looked at her five-star and I was like adding those to my potential list. I decided also I wanted a backlist book since those are vetted many times over, you know, and I was kind of looking at the ratings on Goodreads. And then I went nuts requesting from my library. At one point, I must have had 40 books in my Libby app. Like there were so many books coming in. And I'm like, okay, this is getting crazy. And then finally, you just have to read. Mm -hmm. You just have to open a book and start reading. I thought I was going to sample a lot. I sampled some. I don't think I sampled a ton. But I sampled a a few, and eventually I did settle. What was your strategy for this? Okay, my strategy was to first find a trusted author, because that is usually pretty, you know, good option for me. So find a trusted author whose books I I have already given five stars to, and go to the backlist. And then I decided I wanted a wild card. So my second one would be an author I haven't read before or a debut. And that was going to require me to really sample a lot. Mm -hmm. And my sample strategy was very quick. So I was looking for opening sentences that Mm -hmm. hooked me initially. And if the opening sentence hooked me, I was continuing to read on for for the opening pages and trying to see Am I immediately pulled into the story? Are there compelling characters or scenes that I need to know more about? Do I want to keep going? Or Mm -hmm. if if I was at all bugged or confused or like, eh, meh. It went away. Next. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's funny you say that because to me, we've done book. We've done an episode on Hooked from the First Page. Mm -hmm. And I thought this is different. This is not the same because Hooked from the First Page for me has a good opening, maybe a good opening sentence, maybe has a good setup or interesting premise. And five-star books for me can sometimes be slower burns. Mm -hmm. I still want to be engaged. Like you said, there's characters or there's a complication or something that's like got me going. But it's not the same as hooked from the first page because sometimes hooked from the first page books dive and like take a nosedive in the middle or the end. And like Mm -hmm. you're just like, okay, well, I'm not mad I read it, but like it's not five plus stars. Mm -hmm. So what ended up working for me, this is a different strategy because I listed all that stuff. Where I got my book one, I went into Storygraph. They have this feature where you can search for books that have similar themes to a book of your choice. You could also put in like your mood or whatever. I was adding so much. I'm like, I want it reflective, fast-paced, this, that. And like, eventually it's like, no, (laughs) that doesn't exist. That's too many things. So finally I said, let me keep it simple. And I went, let me look for a book like the book Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey. The book that it spit out for me, actually it spit out like 50 that are Mm -hmm. similar. The one that I chose, very, very good comp for a lot of reasons. Not just one like, oh yeah, you know, it's set in the Arctic. There are several reasons why I think it's a good comp. I completely see it. So I'm very impressed with that feature. But that's the one that I finally stuck with. 
The other one is one that's been on my list for ages, and I've never once seen a bad review about it. I've been putting it off, putting it off. Finally, I grabbed it, stuck with it because it took me a minute to get oriented. It's my five plus star reading. I did do it. I completed the challenge, oh, which I'm okay, yeah. pretty excited about. Mm-hmm. Were you successful? I was successful with one. Yes. And you're right. You're exactly right, actually, because my hooked from the beginning took a dive. And (laughs) I'll tell you when, when I tell you about the book. And then the other one, it did take me, now it's really interesting. It did take me a little bit to get into, although I was intrigued. I will say Mm -hmm. that I was intrigued, but I was also really unsure whether or not I was going to get there. And that is the one, that is the one that, that led me to the five, yeah, the five plus star. And now saying that five plus star reading experience, what does that mean? It means that that book kept me up. I was so invested and it might end up on my top 10. Yeah. What same. about, do you think yours are, yours are top 10 or yours is top yeah, 10? Yeah, the material? one is definitely okay. going to be in my top 10. I totally agree with you. I'm never stopping to wonder, am I liking this? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, good. I think about the characters or something. I think about something in the book when when they're not there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I'm not reading. You want to get back to it. Generally, I find the books that I give five plus stars to are literally fiction. For whatever reason, that seems to be it. Maybe contemporary fiction, but rarely am I using that sort of rating for a mystery or thriller, except, I guess, Razorblade Tears. It takes a very, very special book because Mm -hmm. I'm a character reader. Like I like plot, but I'm more attracted to characters. That's what gets me. But yeah, it was that experience. I have to say, this was not fun for me. <laughs> I thought it was fun to create. the. I, I love the idea. It was fun to create the list. It was not fun to try and force it mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. I feel like I abandoned some good books in favor of chasing great books. And that annoys me. I've only read three books so far as we're recording. It's uh, February 16th, so we're halfway through the month, and I've only read three books this month because I I gave it a good show. I sampled a few and like immediately I'd be like, no, 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 I know this is not going to do it for me. But the ones that I tried, I actually got 10% in at least. So that's not nothing because mm-hmm. these books are not sh- typically short. I just am like, I might go back to them at some point. I probably will, but it's not fun to me to try and force that reading experience, although apparently it can happen. You can do it. Did you have fun with it? I I did have more fun than you did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know, thank you. Yeah, yeah, from what you're saying, you didn't have much fun. The reason I think I had more fun is because it coincided with vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, actually, the one that ended, ended up being five plus stars, I finished before vacation. So I had that already. And so the next one, which was my wild card, that one was the one I was like, okay, I've got a sample, sample, sample. So I was not only stuck in the airport and then stuck on a plane and and that's where I was was cycling through. And I found it really kind of fun to see, you know, I had no other distractions. So yeah, it was a fun experiment to see, all right, how are any of these going to be something I'm interested in. And really, if they weren't enough to compel me to keep going, I know why. I know why Mm -hmm. for the most part. And a couple I'm definitely going to go back to. It was just, I knew, 
I knew from the beginning either this is going to require a lot more patience or this is so iffy because of the voice or I'm not sure like and I don't want it to get to the middle and knowing that it didn't even start good and then get to the middle and be like oh great this is yeah this is a two or three star book and yeah no <laughs> I at least wanted to give myself a chance so I did mm-hmm. have fun with it I think I would have had more fun if I was able to be on vacation or had more time with it Mm -hmm. because my reading time is so fits and starts as it is. Like I get like an hour here, an hour here, you know, a couple pages here. And like, it's very annoying to me. This I don't like starting new books in general. You all know this. (laughs) I don't like meeting new characters. (laughs) Um, And then I don't like starting new books. So finally, I'm just like, I don't care. Just give me something. Give me something. And typically, I think I would have picked up a popcorn thriller. And Mm -hmm. in this case, I I didn't want to because I knew it wouldn't meet our self-imposed criteria. Some of the ones that I tried and got 10% or so in that I likely will go back to, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, Lone Woman by Victor Laval, and Miracle at St. Anna by James McBride. All three mm. I think are good, and I think I will go back to them at some point, but like for, I don't, and, and again, I can't explain it, but something was was not calling me to pick it back up. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, that's a sign. It's it's not a five plus star in this right. moment. Right. Okay. Yeah, same. So I, I jotted down a couple of mine, and Really, I didn't get far at all. The the farthest that I got in one, which is called Bes- Beside the Sea by Veronica Olmi, um, I got 3%. Now, yeah, go look these up for all of these. And, and we'll link the titles, of course. But this one for Tina, I think I thought of you for this one because it's a— it's a motherhood book, but I don't know. I mean, it's about an unhinged, supposedly unhinged mother. I don't know where this book goes. So yeah, definitely check trigger warnings. But she wants to protect her two sons, young sons, and she takes them on a trip to the seaside. And in the synopsis, it says she knows it will be their their last trip. And I was like, oh, that sounds really bad. But, but why? But but there was so much telling in the first few pages mm, that I, mm-hmm. I just thought, you know what? I don't have the patience right now. Another book I sampled and I will return to is Victim by Andrew Borga. This is about a hustler who dreams of becoming a famous writer. And the only reason I I put this down for now is the vo- the narrator's voice did not call to me. It's a very... It's very specific. I wasn't in the mood for it. I am going to wait for the audio to come out on that, though. And then the last, one of the last ones was Green Dot by Madeline Gray. And this is a February 27th release. The opening sentence was really, really good. And the opening sentence was, for some years of my 20s, I was very much in love with a man who would not leave his wife. I was like, bro, Bye. Yeah, tell me Love. more. But right. I got to tell you, it went on to do that thing that sometimes first-person narration does that drives me up the wall, which is I. I had no children. I had no assets. I was besotted. I was overjoyed. And I was like, Mm-mm, I'm not in the mood for all this use of I. <laughs> that would never jump out at me. See, oddly. it does for me. And it's only if, and for you know, like I said, I was— I was looking for something very specific. Yeah. And once I pay attention to that, it stands out to me. So mm-hmm. those are three. I sampled a lot, but I'm just going to mention those three. My husband, my husband, my husband. Yes. <laughs> repetition, oh, repetition mm-hmm. gets me. It gets um, you. Yeah. All right. Well, if you try this experiment, let us know. I would love to know how it goes for you. 
But I will go ahead and dive in and share my first book. I'm very excited. This is the one that Storygraph told me is like Bigrations, and I agree. It's Good Morning Midnight by Lily Brooks Dalton. And this is science fiction post-apocalyptic about two outsiders, a lonely scientist who's in the Arctic Circle, and an astronaut trying to return to Earth. And they are grappling with what they're coming to believe is the end of the world. The first character is named Augustine. He is this brilliant, aging astronomer. He's probably in his late 70s, and he is somebody who very much lives in his head. He's living in the stars, and for years, he's made his entire career living in remote outposts, looking at the sky for evidence on how the universe began. So he's set in this research center in the Arctic, and all of a sudden, he's not very well-liked, but like he's there researching with other scientists, and all of a sudden, a lot of them were like, hey, we got to go. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm staying here. They're like, dude, like we're not coming back for you. He's like, got it, I know. And he doesn't know why they're leaving. He just gets news that a catastrophic event has happened. So all the other scientists evacuate except Augustine because he doesn't want to abandon his work. And he kind of is figuring, I don't have any family. I don't have anybody to go back to. I'm going to stay here. And then shortly after the others have left, he discovers a mysterious child, Iris. And they realize that the airways have gone silent. They can't get anybody on the radio. Luckily, they have a lot of provisions because they were meant, researchers were meant to live here. So they're not wanting food, they're kind of stuck here with no way to contact the outside world. Then at the same time, you have mission specialist Sullivan, who is on the who is aboard the ether. I think it's a space. It's a rocket <laughs> ship. Whatever. Look, I'm <laughs> she's on a ship. I don't know. They're in space. And they're returning home from Jupiter, which was pretty cool. There's, there's, I think, three or four astronauts on there, and Sully is, you know, she's a mother, and she's kind of made peace with the choices she's made in her life. She had to leave her daughter behind, and as a result, her marriage ended. So far, the journey has been a success. They went to Jupiter, and they're heading back home, but on their way back, mission control has fallen silent. So Sully and her crewmates are forced to wonder, what happened? What's going on on Earth? They can't get a hold of anybody. So you're going back and forth between Augustine and Sully, and you come to understand the characters' backstories. Augustine, right off the bat, is a curmudgeon, kind of a jerk. <laughs> and I did come around to him, you know, but I will say the narration didn't help on audio. The voice was very specific. And at first it grated on me, but then I came to like accept it. But it's very much like an old man sounding voice, like in kind of a grumpy old mm. man. But then you, yeah, you you work backward and figure out how they got to where they are. But then it really, really gets deep. And they, the author really uncovers what is the meaning of life? What do we do at the end of the world? How do we make sense of our own lives and what constitutes a life well-lived, it's really, really interesting. And again, if you've read Migrations, a lot of the themes that were in that book were present in Good Morning Midnight in a good way. Everyone's grieving something, including the astronauts that are also on this, I keep wanting to call it a spaceship. It's not, whatever, aircraft. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the astronauts there are grieving. They have some of them with families and like they have their own lives and everyone's trying to grapple with like, oh my God, what happened? Where is everybody? Um, what if I never see them again? What was interesting too is you come to see Augie as a full character because he reflects back on things that he went through in his life and he's realizing now at the end that he has regrets. And he's wondering what would have happened if he would have taken a chance or done this or that thing differently. My 
only thing is, you know, my own, the only reason why I didn't give this five plus stars, I probably landed at four and a half, is because I want an epilogue. I really, oh, really want okay. an epilogue. You and I both, I think, are readers mm-hmm. who enjoy an epilogue. I like for it to be drawn out. Give me everything. Give me two years in the future if you want. Like, I want that. You don't get that with this. And that's okay. It's still a beautiful story. I'm still very impressed with it. And I would give this author another shot. I realized, though, that I actually have DNF'd one of her previous books, not for any real reason. The Light Pirate, she wrote mm. that. Mm-hmm. And I that's the one I DNF'd. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's her. So now I'm like kind of curious because I know that's also a end-of-the-world motherhood story, and I might have to pick that back up. Anyway, I do still very much recommend this book. If you're a reader like me, that was Good Morning Midnight by Lily Brooks Dalton. Okay. That was close, though. That's uh, Close. Right. Don't regret it. Right. Definitely am happy I finished it. I'm happy that Storygraph was right on the money with their recommendation. Oh, yeah. I'm really loving the Storygraph. And... Okay. My first pick is my wild card. So I went with an author I haven't read. And this is the book that from all of my samples at the airport and on the plane, this is the one that I stuck with. It is Finding Sophie by Imran Mahmood. comes out March 5th. Now, this is a disappearance story. And you do know I love a disappearance story. So that it had that going for it. And in this story, someone is guilty. So this is about Harry and Zara King and their 17-year-old daughter. Now, Sophie is their only child. And one day, she leaves the house and doesn't return. Six weeks later, the police are no closer to finding her than when they started. And Harry and Zara have questioned everyone who has ever had any connection to Sophie to no avail. Now, I mean, this is such a basic setup and premise. And I want you to picture this. Okay, these parents are frantic. I mean, absolutely frantic. And they're they're each doing a little bit, like some little different things to find their daughter. So picture Harry, the dad. He's got this like attic area with this gigantic board. And so picture he's got threads, red threads running from everywhere onto when she left the house and where she could have possibly went because they have, they live in an area where there's cameras, right? And, you know, they've asked people to check their ring cams or whatever, what have you. So he is being very meticulous and he has absolutely narrowed down the fact that he doesn't think she could possibly be anywhere in the surrounding area, except he has one gigantic question mark over house number 210. And the reason that there's a gigantic question mark is going to cause him to become absolutely obsessed with this house, the person who lives there. And I'm not going to tell you anything else about that. Things happen. And um, and also, it's really easy to put yourself into that position. Like, what would you do? Because the person or people who live there are not cooperate. They're not cooperating. Now, Harry and his wife, there is friction there because 
they're both dealing with grief and uncertainty in their own ways. And little by little, we come to understand that there was quite a lot happening in this family before she walked out the door that day. And I wanna, I'm going to leave the whole thing there. This pulled me right into the story. It is told in alternating perspectives of Harry and his wife, Zara, and it's told in a dual timeline between the weeks after Sophie's disappearance and, get this, a year later in the middle of a murder trial, which was, I mean, genius because not only did I have to know, oh my gosh, what happened to her? What's going to, and this father is really, truly obsessed and on the edge of something. So what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to this neighbor? What's going to happen? And then who is on trial for the murder? I mean, I'm not going to tell you, but you will find out pretty, eventually you were going to find out. And who was killed? You don't know any of this. What a genius way to propel a story forward. I thought the writing was really moving. I thought it explored grief and the way that people react to a crisis differently. If the, um, I'm going to call it a lack of communication, if that really truly bugs you, like the way that that can be used to drive a story forward, it's used in the story. And it did kind of bug me, but it ebbs and flows. So if you're initially bugged by that and just be like, God, why aren't you talking to each other? It kind of resolves itself, but like I said, it ebbs and flows. I really, truly, truly thought that this had great potential. I was like, oh my gosh, I think this is going to be five stars. I'm in it. I read it on the, you know, I hit it, hit on this in the airport, read it on the plane, which is always fun. And then I was thinking about it. And then, you know, I think I did finish it in the same day. And then I stayed up late the first night we were there to finish it. I do have to say the last 40% I found to be a bit of a mess. And that is where, um, that's where my realization came that this was not going to be a five star for me. It felt a bit convoluted at times. Although I think overall it was really smartly plotted. I think maybe the author got a little confused. In the weeds? In the weeds. Thank you. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm calling it a mess. It wasn't a total mess. I was just aware. I was aware that like, wait a minute. I'm confused or wait a minute now I, this doesn't seem to have been addressed and the and I found that really took me out of the story what I'm going to leave you with is the fact that I do really feel like there was a big thread not addressed by the end and that really bugged me so while it wasn't a five plus star reading experience I did really like the story I probably will land close to a four star. I'm still thinking, I'll think about it, but probably close to that because overall I was into it. It's Finding Sophie by Imran Mahmood. All right. Well, it sounds good. Yeah. I really think a lot of people are going to like it. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, uh, here we go. I finally did it. I finally did it. Don't... Don't write in to chastise me for only now getting to this <laughs> book because I finally have read Homegoing by Yaa Jesse. Mm. 
This book is so popular for so many good reasons. I have it came out in 2016 and it's been on my list to read every single year. I don't know why it took me so long. Uh, starts out in Ghana in the 18th century. Two half sisters are born into different villages and they're each unaware of the other. One will marry an Englishman and lead a life of comfort in the palatial rooms of the Cape Coast Castle. The other will be captured in a raid on her village and imprisoned in the very same castle and sold into slavery. So it's basically a book that follows the paths of these sisters. And I did not know this. It follows their descendants. I thought we were going to get the same sisters and like it was going to be a story really zeroing in on the two of them and their diverging paths for the entire story. No, it's them, but each chapter is one of their descendants. And it goes back and forth between a descendant of one, the one that was married to the Englishman, and then the one that was sold as a slave. And you go back and forth. So genius, the way that this was set up. And it allows you to really see the effects of what happens when, what happened to the descendants of people that were sold into slavery? What happened to the people that got to stay? What happened to the like, there are just so many things that I think this book opened my eye up to. And also, lightly, as you're reading through these character stories, you're lightly getting a lot of history with it. Because I was, like, looking up the gold, you know, the what is the Cape Coast Castle. And I highlighted and underlined so much. You learn about different plantations. You went into the American Civil War a little bit. The Jazz Age in Harlem. And gosh, it was just such a brilliant setup. And I love that we got so much history in the span of a 350-page book. If you like multi-generational stories, this is absolutely one to get on your list. Roxanne Gay called this one of the most powerful support for reparations she's ever seen, and I thought, God, I really understand why you said that. At the same time, it sounds like this would be super heavy. Obviously, of course, it is in so many places, But each chapter had its own characters with their own struggles. And like it was cool because you would see them referencing their mom, who was related to this woman and, you know, whose grandmother was this. And I just had such a good time following these people. It made me really want to do my own genealogy and know, like, where did I come from? You know, how far back can I go? Mm -hmm. Like, it was just such an eye-opening book. And it made me consider a lot of things. One thing in particular is I never considered the reputation of families or the descendants of families who were, that worked as slave sellers. Like, it just made me think about kind of the families of people on both sides. The characters are fully fleshed out. They're really deep. And I just thought this progressed rather quickly. Again, it's covering so much time. But because of the way you're alternating between characters, it goes quickly. So I kept having to reference the first page where they give you a family tree. You definitely want to do that because some of the characters, I was like, wait, okay, who's your mom? (laughs) Like, what, (laughs) you know, what side of the family tree are you on? I thought the ending was beautiful. I obviously, you know, I highly, highly recommend this. If you've not yet read it like me, give it a shot. It's Homegoing by Yeah Jesse. Oh, okay, good. Did you do that on audio at all or was it ebook? Against or? my will. I did not want to. I okay. really wanted to sit with it in print, but I started to realize I'm never going to finish this book by the time we have to record. So I did do the audio. And I only say against my will because, not because it was poorly narrated. The narrator did a great job. 
Dominic Hoffman is his name. I just loved it. I wanted it in print. I wanted okay. to underline and highlight and like make notes for later. So I'm going to go back and there and annotate the book. I have a, a paperback copy, so I'm going to go back and do that. But I I did both, and I recommend print if you can. Okay. All right. Good. All right. My winner, my five plus star, yeah. is the trusted author whose backlist I went into. It is Father of the Rain by Lily King. Oh, now, you might have heard me possibly mention that recently because you know where I got this from? No. From Anne Patchett's. If you haven't read it yet, it's new to you. I believe this was one of her, in one of her videos. The only reason I say that is because I don't think it would it wouldn't have been in her new release because it's not a new release. She ended up doing like a little author feature from her bookstore on Lily King. It might have been because maybe her paperback came out. I don't know. But anyway, Ann Patchett ended up saying and holding this book up and said, Father of the Rain is my favorite Lily King. And I was like, all right, Ann Patchett. I haven't, you know, I haven't read that one. I want to try it. And I loved Writers and Lovers. That was five stars for me. So I thought, you know what? Let me try it. So this one is about a New England family. Well, when we first meet them, which is a very large chunk, it is, I believe, in the 70s. And the entire story is going to span three decades. And it is about a very volatile relationship between a frighteningly charismatic alcoholic father and the daughter who cannot help but love him. So the father in the story is Gardener Amory. He is a New England wasp, and he is beginning to feel the cracks in his empire. Now, his empire is his family because he thinks, you know, he rules the roost for the family. At the time that the story starts, Nixon is about to be impeached. Gardener's wife is leaving him, and his worldview is rapidly becoming outdated. His daughter, Daly, who narrates much of the story, has spent her first 11 years of her life carefully negotiating her parents' conflicting worlds, the liberal, socially committed realm of her mother and the conservative, liquor-soaked life of her father. Those particular aspects do play a part in this story, which is why I now see that it is mentioned in the synopsis. So, we really get to know Daly when she's 11 and moving forward. And as she grows up, Daly is going to end up rejecting the narrow world that nourished her father's years and the prejudices that he held. She's going to embark on her own separate life until something happens and she gets lured back home by this dream she has of somehow reconnecting with her father. And I don't want to say anything else about that. But in order to go back, she ends up risking losing everything she has built for herself, including her new love, Jonathan, who I love so much. And he represents much of what Daly's father claims to hate. I'm going to leave it there. This is a family drama, literary fiction story, very, very epic. When it starts, Daily is 11. It's a long time in the story before 
she moves on to the next phase. It's set in three parts. So we are in part one for quite a while, and I was here for all of it. There's something, and I tried to pay attention to what is it that Lily King is doing that makes this story so compelling for me. And not only does she create this family that I felt like I am watching real people. One of the family dramas I can think of, Parenthood, that used to be on TV, it felt like you're watching something like that, where you, you're you watching this family, and sometimes you are, you are just watching them implode. And I felt so bad for Daly, and I wondered what was going to happen to her. And also, I was so frustrated by her parents, because also back, you know, in that time— they were not considering her feeling <laughs> like things were just happening and no one was considering daily. And oh my gosh, it just made me so invested in the story. The publisher or in the in the synopsis talks about the father in the story as being mercurial. And that is such a perfect word to describe this man. At times I found myself laughing at something that he said. And then at other times, he is a I mean, if there is an ism to be to be had in the story racism racism sexism any ism he's covered it (laughs) he's really not a nice man but then the way you know the way that she just had him in the story it was like you couldn't i couldn't stop reading i had to know what would happen and then each part so them daily grows up and then you know i had to find out like, please tell me you do not, you are not going to give up what you have worked so hard for. And why? Like, I just, I was just reading. I was so invested. Like, please don't get sucked back into blah, blah, blah. And for me, it was, I couldn't stop. And so much happens. I love a story set over decades. I mean, 30 years is a long time. We get to know these people. I got to be completely 100% invested. I absolutely love the arc of the story. I love what she did with it. I love being present for the ending. There is nothing I don't love about this. And I wasn't sure. I mean, I wasn't sure when I started, but I was sure when I finished. And I immediately, like, this is it. It fulfilled the experiment. I suspect it's going to end up in my top 10. It's Father of the Rain by Lily King. What a fun way to get a recommendation. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh, I have to plug the audio. I ended up, I had it as an ebook. I actually started it on my Kindle. And then, um, because I couldn't stop reading, I wanted to be in this all day long. I started it late at night. I read, I read late. The next day, I was like, please tell me I can get this on audio. Well, the only place you can get this on audio is Audible. And this is an exact reason of why I don't cancel that membership. Cassandra Campbell narrates the audiobook. I ended up finishing it on audio, sitting late at night that night with just an AirPod in. She is brilliant as the narrator in this story. She created such a like a tone of melancholy by narrating daily and the other voices in the story. She just phenomenal. I I highly recommend it on audio. So there's that. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Just a little side note. Well, good. Okay, my shelf edition. It's kind of going through this the same thread. I think it ties. It's a thriller, and it ties surprisingly well into how the word is passed. It's What You Leave Behind by Wanda M. Morris. It comes out on June 18th. And it's about Dina Wood, whose life has fallen apart after she's lost her mother, her marriage, and her prestigious job at an Atlanta law firm. She needs what the Geechee people of coastal Georgia call a day clean or a fresh start. So she returns to her childhood home in Brunswick, Georgia to heal. But her return is anything but the respite she thought it might be. To make peace with all her loss, she often drives through the city. And one day she unwittingly finds herself on the oceanfront property of a loner widow who is fighting to keep land that has been his since the end of the Civil War. He threatens her and warns her never to return, but shortly after, he disappears and his very expensive property is quickly put up for sale. She becomes really curious about what happened to this man and starts to dig into his disappearance and finds a family legacy at risk. What starts out as a bit of curious snooping turns into a deadly game of illegal land grabs and property redevelopment in poor and rural communities with a dark and powerful force at work. And without realizing it, she finds herself caught up in a nightmarish scheme that threatens her community and her family. She needs help and finds it in a close but unlikely source because she knows what she must do whatever it takes to stop the sinister forces at play before she becomes their next target. I read Wanda Morris's debut. All her little secrets thought it was really, really good. So I'm very tickled to try another book by her. It's What You Leave Behind by Wanda M. Morris. Okay. All right, I'm going historical fiction for my shelf edition today. It's The Briar Club by Kate Quinn. It comes out July 9th. So this is a haunting and powerful story of female friendships and secrets in a Washington, D.C. boarding house during the McCarthy era. So setting is Washington, D.C., 1950, and everyone is keeping to themselves at Briarwood House. It's a down-at-the-heels, all-female boarding house in the heart of the nation's capital where secrets hide behind white picket fences. But when the lovely, mysterious widow, Grace March, moves into the attic room, she draws her oddball collection of neighbors into unlikely friendships. So there is going to be an English beauty whose facade of the perfect wife and mother covers gaping inner wounds. There's a policeman's daughter who finds herself entangled with a shadowy gangster. There's a frustrated baseball star. And there is another woman who has thrown herself into McCarthy's Red Scare. So Grace's weekly attic room dinner parties and window-brewed sun tea become a healing balm on all of their lives. But Grace is also hiding a secret of her own, and when a shocking act of violence tears the house apart, the Briar Club women must decide once and for all who is the true enemy in their midst. So I I like the sound of this, and I've liked Kate Quinn's books in the past. So this one is The Briar Club by Kate Quinn. Yes, love a new Kate Quinn. Mm-hmm. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content and community, 
You can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash etc. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at etc at gmail.com. You can also find us at etc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Okay.